0: okay, you fellowshipping marvels you. Find a place where you can rest yourself. We have lots of ground to cover this morning. So good to see you. So glad to be with you. I'm super Super pumped, amped, as some youth pastors might say. I just came off of a couple of days of junior high camp. They come back today, so they're still on their way back, all sugar-fueled and angsty and sleep-deprived. And I will spare you all the intros that we would normally do for a junior high camp at this point and jump straight into announcements. Ready? Announcement one. I uh, I was watching a YouTube video a couple months ago. And that YouTube video um, was about prayer. And I didn't necessarily love everything about the video, but I thought it was a a great video. And one of the things I wanted to see was, what are people saying? So I went to the comments underneath the video. And the first comment that was the most liked and repeated and responded to comment from this video said, This 15-minute video taught me more about prayer than going to church for 20 years. Yeah, that's how I felt. Whoever made that noise. Yes, you did. That's how I felt too. I don't like that at all. Because it's my job to try to ensure that you have everything that you need for a successful relationship with God. God used that to kind of stir in my heart just an opportunity or ways to try to figure out Are we giving you the tools that you need? Um, So Amy last week announced uh, in front of you and I get to repeat that announcement tonight at 630. I would invite you to come back into this room if you're interested and learn about how to have a quiet time. A quiet time is essentially the foundation for what your daily relationship with God looks like. And we tell you a lot, hey, you should be reading the Bible. Hey, you should be praying. Hey, you should be fostering your relationship with God. We want to talk more specifically tonight about what that looks like. And I've invited some uh, mature believers to join me in the process. It's going to be pretty informal. Don't have to feel like you need to come with a binder or wear a suit or we're just going to be in here. and And I don't know how many people are going to show up. If you have kids and you feel like your kids are going to be your excuse to not come, then bring your kids. I have gone on all kinds of missions trips where basically every other church in the world, when they meet, there's kids just like running amuck everywhere. It's only here where we're all supposed to sit quietly and silently. And so if you bring your kids, they, there's no kids program. They're just, they'll be here and they'll be watching their parents try to learn more about their relationship with God. Come tonight, 630. Second announcement. A week from this Thursday, which puts it on the 22nd, uh, we are going to be partnering with a Christian ministry called Alpha Omega Family Services, and they have uh, asked to come and do a presentation completely free to you about estate planning. So if you know everything about this, this is not for you. But if you don't know or would like to know some more, a free seminar is being put on for you in, at at our building. Are we going to be in here? I can't remember. Somebody that knows? Sure. Why not? We'll be in here. And if not, we'll take the room over. And Thursday, that Thursday at 6.30, and then after their free seminar, because they are a, uh, in full disclosure, they are an entity that needs to get paid, uh, they will try to develop a relationship with you that have learned through the seminar, and maybe you can use them for those types of services if you're interested. So that's a week from Thursday. Um, two more, uh, two more announcements. We have Vacation Bible School coming up. That would have been a good time for like junior hires. That they would have been like, "Yay, you guys just went." So, what you need to do is find your inner child, and one of the best ways to do that is to volunteer. Working for VBS. The dates are up there. I'm sure you're not doing anything. July 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. If you have no skills, come and serve with us. If you have lots of skills, come and serve with us. It is a fantastic way to invest in the future of the kingdom of God by working with kids. If you can help on just maybe one or two of those days, that's something that we can use you you for. You can sign up to help up help out online or because she's there and she loves being the center of attention you can go talk to Marley Marley Wave because Marley's in charge of VBS and she's awesome last uh, i am going to invite are they here are so people are so people here where are they There's some so people. I'm going to invite the team that was able to serve with so ministries to come up and give you a brief report of what their experience of their short-term mission trip was like. Oh, now they all just start popping up. I didn't even see them before. They're going to tell you what their trip was like and uh, so that you can rejoice with
1: them. Welcome them by clapping. He's he's so hard to follow. (laughs) As the team comes up, uh, and gathers around us up here. My name's Larry Bousquet, and I kind of uh, organized this uh, mini-trip with uh, uh, Jeremy Rogelstad and Andy Finch. And we came up with a crew of 20 adults and 10 kids. 30 of us went down to Mexico for a period of one week, and with God's grace and all the work, we, got, we worked alongside Travis and Amber Owen, who are the founders of So serving orphans and widows that we have partnered with down in Baja, just north of Ensenada. During that time frame, we had um, quite a bit of work done. This team took the second dormitory and completely drywalled it from studs to drywall, taping, mudding, texturing and all that stuff ready to go for painting. Uh, that in itself took a lot of our time. They did railings, uh, we made picnic tables, we ended up having a barbecue at their on their property. We've had quite a bit of activity, and it was some long days. Um, but this this crew, many of them are there. Was their first time. Take a look at these some of these photos. <clears throat> many 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 of these, particularly the kids, were, it was their first time south of the border and uh, serving in, in this type of capacity. Uh, we're so excited that uh, this work has been done, and. Uh, the church had raised approximately $8,700 uh, for the purchase of materials and supplies that we used on so. Uh, I do want to make a note that all of our members here that participated, we paid our own way. We paid for our own fuel. We paid for our room and board. Uh, most of it was at an RV park or a hotel on the RV park, which is a half a kilometer away uh, because the dormitories all aren't up and running yet. And all that was incurred by us, and this is what we bought into this this uh, process. So, uh, first, second time visitor, Christy would like to say something.
2: Hi, I'm Christy Rogelstad, and my husband Jeremy and I have been down to Mexico twice with so with our kids. And the reason we keep we love going back is because of Amber and Travis's heart for people and just how they really live life with them. They, they provide things, yes, they provide physical and building needs and things like that, but they, um, they're they just intertwined with their lives and we love that about this ministry. Um, Amber cuts their hair, she has parties for their kids, they have Christmas parties. They really know them and they're friends and <clears throat> it's just a great example of how we should be living life with people and we just we love their heart for the people down in Mexico. Um, a typical day for us. Um, Aside from working at the property, um, the ladies and our kids two days went to the orphanage slash rehab. The women live across the street from their kids so that they can see them, you know, once a day while they're getting clean and sober. Um, And when we're there, we stop by Costco on the way and we pick up some food for them or any supplies they need. Um, And we get there and we We brought some crafts from from here. We brought uh, some stuff for the kids to do, some stuff to do with the women. We were doing hair wraps and um, bracelets and fellowshipping with them. And um, they just appreciate the time that we spent with them. Um, I think a lot of people have money to give, but it's time is so precious. And they recognize that about us coming down there and just spending the day and fellowshipping and doing things with them. And actually the director of the women's rehab actually recognized Greta And she looked totally different five years ago. Um, And there is a little bit of a language barrier. I mean, if you know Spanish, it's even better to go down and just converse with the women. Our kids obviously have no problem playing with each other. They were playing Mexicans versus Americans. So (laughs) it was a lot of fun. They were they were roping each other and doing things like that. So, um, no, it was a great time. We felt super blessed to be able to work on the property. Um, just fellowship with each other, and and just fellowship with Amber and Travis, and um, we just love their ministry so much and their heart for kids.
3: Hi, for those of you who who I have not met yet, uh, my name is Esther, and I am the chairperson for the missions committee here at SBC. And um, anyway, I wanted to let you know that you do not have to wait for an organized trip to go down and work with Travis and Amber and be a part of the wonderful things they are doing, reaching out to other orphanages there, building their own orphanage. If you would like to know how to get your own trip together or if you just wanna take your family down, then please contact me. You can get my number um, through the church office or speak with my husband, Larry. We'd be happy to help you get yourselves down there so you have an opportunity also to work alongside Travis and Amber and um, work with other orphanages and if you have a heart for missions and you would like to be part of the mission committee we would love to have you be part of our committee we're always looking for new members and ways to reach out and just to serve God's people and be on mission for him so I invite you as well to join us on that committee thank you
4: No. All right. Good morning. We're going to play Mexicans versus Americans after church. <laughs> if anybody super politically correct? Uh, hey, good morning. My name is Jesse. If I haven't met you, welcome to Seer Bible Church. Uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, for the most part, I have the great, humble opportunity to bring the word almost uh, almost every Sunday. Not quite, but uh, that is basically my overall role here. Uh, just want to again just say thank you for being here. If you're new, uh, I'm sure some of you were here because people have been praying for you, or they've been desiring to to get you to just finally see what it's like to be be part of a, a church life and a community of people of faith. And so uh, if that's you, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a book in the New Testament that we're uh, walking through. And if you don't have a Bible, these guys would love to give you one of ours. You can keep it if you don't own one, or uh, you can just borrow it, drop it off. We'll, We'll put it away for you. You can leave it in your seat when you're done. Or like I said, you can take it home if you really need it. Uh, and then if you do have your Bible or digital device, however you uh, absorb your content, go to Ephesians 2. And before we get into Ephesians 2, we have just one more little piece of business, a really fun uh, piece of business, because we love families and we love kids. I'm going to invite uh, Lucas and Alana and little baby uh, Bo on, up on the stage, and I get to do a baby dedication this morning. So welcome up, Alana and Lucas. So... um we were practicing baby holding earlier. Uh, not not that I need that practice, I don't. Um, I have four kids of my, of my own. My wife actually is at uh, the junior high camp with our two older boys. And so the last several days, I've just been watching our two littles, uh, Jolie and David, they're, they're nine years old and six years old respectively. And so I've just been hanging out with two kids. And if you uh, have only had two kids, if you've only only giving birth to two kids, and that's where you stopped. I just want to tell you, great idea. That was one of the, I didn't realize how easy it was. It's pretty freaking easy, so. Uh, And they only got one little guy here, and and he's got a little bit of separation anxiety with mom, but this kid is super cute. He had his one-year-old birthday last week uh, at Regional Park, and it was one of the best birthdays I've ever been to. I went to this little guy's birthday and got all-you-can-eat tacos. (laughs) You can throw those kind of birthdays for someone else anytime as long as I'm invited. But here's what we do with baby dedications. Baby dedications are an opportunity for us uh, not not to do something that's overly spiritual or that has a, 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 an ability to do anything in little Bo's life. That's not what this is about. What this is about is Alana and Lucas coming before their church family. You are their church family. They consider you family. And they want you to know that they don't want to raise Bo by themselves and they want to ensure that they have the help necessary to raise Bo according to scripture, but that Bo would know the gospel and that Bo would know Jesus Christ. And the way we do this is we do it by covenanting, which is just a fancy word to make a promise. And so I'm going to ask Alana and Lucas to make a promise to you as their church family. And I'm going to ask you, as a church family, to make a promise to Lucas and Alana. That that is, if you call Sierra Bible your home, and this is your community, we want you to covenant with Alana and Lucas that they would be able to have your help, your prayer, your support, and raising him that he would one day follow Jesus. And then we want to pray for him. And so Alana and Lucas, do you promise, do you covenant with this family before the Lord and witnesses that you will do your best through struggle, through sanctification, to raise this little boy to know Jesus Christ than to know scripture?
3: We
4: do? Yeah. <laughs> family, church family, do you, along with Alana and Lucas, covenant and promise to walk with them as best of your ability to help guide them, encourage them, and pray for them that they can raise this little boy according to scripture and the gospel of Jesus? And the church said, well, you may kiss Bo. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Lucas Lucas gave me that joke earlier. I was gonna take, I would love to take credit for it. Well, let's pray for him. Can I
3: try job. Well, this'll work. <laughs>
4: let's pray. Would you extend your hands if you want, just as a, a sign that you're reaching out and, and that you're part of this? Lord, just thank you for Uh, Alana and Lucas, thank you for their story, a story of redemption, a story of grace, a story of forgiveness, a story of renewal, a story of fresh beginnings. Thank you for that. Thank you for this little boy that you've given them, Lord, as a true gift. I pray, Lord, that you would help them raise him according to the gospel and the scripture, and that, Lord, little Bo will grow up to know who you are, that he would adore you, that he would worship you. Guide his parents, Lord, to do the best they can and we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give him a hand. Yes, <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Quit upstaging me, bro. Okay, okay. Um, Brad Beers reminded me. I, I told him beforehand, and I, this, I'm just going to embrace it. Uh you know, we had a whole list of things we needed to do. It's 1104 and you probably don't care uh, what time it is, but I have to get a message out in a certain amount of time. And, uh, and I was telling Brad, Hey, let's get through this stuff. Let's nail out all of our announcements. We got a baby dedication. And, and he reminded me, he said, dead churches don't have anything going on. And I just, at that moment, thanks to God's Holy spirit in that moment, just, you know, if we don't get all the information out that we want, if we don't, uh, have a perfect sermon or message, that's okay. We have a living, breathing thing that God has gifted us, and praise God for that, right? I mean, that's a good thing. In In a day and age where churches are dying, uh, we we've been blessed with a unique thing in the Tahoe Mountains, and I, I don't want that to be lost on us, and so Uh, I'm just going to take my time, and we're going to cover the material we're going to cover. And some of you may ask the question, what happened to point two or what happened to point three? Uh, The last several weeks, I've been tempted to not even put points in my notes any longer, just so no one will bug me about the points. Uh, I say what I say. You know, it's like um, my wife came up with a line for the kids, you know, when she cooked dinner. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. I'm going to start preaching that way. And then whenever you complain, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, before we dive into this particular passage in chapter two, I want to give a little bit of a background again on, on what Brad Knoll covered last week and really what we would call, what we would consider the power of the gospel. Uh, if you remember, Ephesians, you know, planted by Paul, he planted it. It's in a city that is filled with false idol worship. There's a lot of a lot of dark spiritual things that are happening in Ephesus. Uh, Not only that in this particular city, not only is there a lot of darkness, there there is at least, and this is true in our society too, at least there is a mentality of of spiritual things. So in Ephesus, there definitely, they were, you could call the people of Ephesus, you, you could call the people of Rome, a spiritual people, but they worshiped anything and everything. I mean, there wasn't anything that was off limits for them to worship. And so in the middle of that, there's this false worship, false idols, darkness. And then, and then you have, in addition to that, you have the fact that they're being persecuted. And so Paul writes this particular Ephesian church and he's reminding them as he is reminding us of our identity in Christ. Who are you really? Who do you identify with? Like when you walk around and you say, This is who I am, what would you say? In America, oftentimes when someone asks you about you, what we've done in America is we have associated our identity with what we do. So oftentimes the first thing that we will tell someone about ourselves is the job that we have, right? I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse. It's always fun for me to say, I'm a pastor. Uh, those are fun conversations, especially when they've been cussing around you for the last hour and a half. <laughs> and the hope of, of getting into this book in part for me, uh, I've been doing ministry now in some form or fashion, basically full-time since I was 21 years old. I'm 44. And in that span of of time, uh, I'm now at a place at 44 years old and doing ministry. I, I just want, can, if I can be really transparent with you, when Allie and I came to Truckee, California to be a part of Sierra Bible Church, both my wife and I did not want to be a part of Sierra Bible Church. I mean, that's just the honesty to it. You have to remember, my wife and I started at a really large Calvary Chapel in San Diego. Thousands of people, I mean, bustling. There was life, there's, there was awesome music, there, I mean, Man, pastors in training it's just life, life, life. When, when we first moved, the idea of moving back to Truckee into the small town that it it was then, and obviously it's grown even since then. You know, the, the church. Just so you know, when we first moved here, it had one service, one gathering. 150 people were a part of the church at that time, and, and most of them were 50 and older. And if that—if you're 50 and older, that's okay. We love you. I'm not—I'm not too far behind, right? I'm getting there now, which is kind of crazy. I'm, I'm the same age as the parents of the high school kids that I was ministering to. That's how long I've been here. And, and when we came and, and, and Allie and I, my wife, just so you know, after moving from this bustling community and we moved back, my wife cried the first entire year we were here. And we bought, we didn't buy. We, we rented a house in Tahoe Donner our first year. And that was in one of the bigger years that we had. And my wife, just so you know, she grew up in Palm Springs. <laughs> Tears every night. So uh, I'm just giving you a little bit of, I know some of you are really new to the church and you don't know all of these things, but so Allie and I, my wife and I, we prayed and uh, we, we came to the youth group and we had eight kids in it. Some of those kids are in the room this morning. they're not kids anymore they have their own kids I've dedicated their kids now which is pretty crazy and and when we came to that youth group with eight kids in it between junior high and senior high eight kids my wife's crying every night and I'm wondering what did we move to Truckee for why it's snowing And, and I'm looking at the weather in San Diego and I'm asking God why So we decided that we were going to pour into the youth group because that's what my original job was here, was youth ministry. We're going to pour into the youth ministry for five years. And then we were going back to San Diego. And you can tell how well uh, putting a five-year plan before the Lord works because I'm in like year 19. Uh, and, And the church today, what we are today, if you call Sierra Bible home, you are part of a journey that has been happening all the way back in the 50s. The church was planted in a bar across from the high school because it was the only building closed on a Sunday. Eventually, at some point, that pastor decided to build the building next door. It went up, church grew, got too big, and then they built this building. And today, the church has become, really, it has become what we've been praying for. For 18, 19 years, my wife and I have been praying for a church of life, a church of salvations where people get saved, a church of young kids where old people want to connect and the the young people want to connect and its diversity and its beauty. Today, we're between 600 and 700 people. That is no small thing anywhere, let alone in what is considered the liberal mountains of California. And now I'm at a place, again, to be honest with you, where we've reached this place, and I'm praying, Lord, what what do you want our generation to do next for the next generation? Because I'm not going to be here forever, uh, and not because I don't want to be, but because I have a expiration date to leave this planet, and I'm looking forward to that expiration date. But what does God have next? I just noticed a, a new for sale sign for some land went up. So if you got a few extra dollars laying around and you wanna buy some property for the church, just let me know. We're definitely open to that conversation. And and now we are praying. What does God have for us next? And if again, if I can just share my own personal heart from it and I think it's scriptural, I I think we really do have two things that we need to do as a church. All this is gonna tie into the text, I promise. We have to live for God's glory which means that, that that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is that we elevate Jesus. Uh, and then the second thing is as we elevate Jesus, when Jesus is elevated, he calls, he calls people to himself, which means if we're glorifying Christ, more will want to come to Christ. I hope your heart beats to see sinners come to know the Savior. And here's the thing. It seems, even though people are leaving California, there are more people coming to Truckee, moving to Truckee. Whether you like it or not, the community is going to grow. That's the truth. We've got to glorify God, but we've got to be a church. We have to be a church that not only cares about the depth, discipleship, theology, and doctrine, but we have to have a passion that beats to see those who are lost come to know the Lord. And if that's the case, as it already is, we're out of room. Unless some of you start to make a little bit of a step of faith and come at 830. That was the Holy Spirit. Just explanation point. And so we come to this place now, as I just shared that story, that that in in this passage that we're going to read this morning, it really is about the church. When we think about the church, when we think about the group of people that exist in this building, and when we we preach what the church is, none of us would ever deny that, that like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't think any of us would say that. Like, let's just think for a moment. When we think of of what the church is supposed to be, right, a group of people, a group of people, a corporate group of people that live for compassion and grace. We're we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be the, the most diverse group of people. Right? Salvation is for all. I, I love it when I hear um, African-American theologians uh, have uh, debates with Americans, white Americans, about how, how Christianity is not a European religion because it isn't. It's for all people, right? And originally, it was just for the Hebrews, and that's in part what, where we're at this morning. We're going to see that, that Paul starts using these words like dividing wall, has been taken down. Hostility is gone between the circumcised and the non-circumcised. So what's actually occurring in Ephesus and what was happening in the first century church is you had Hebrews who were Hebrews all of their lives. They worshipped Yahweh. They knew that Abraham was their father. And they knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that. And they were given all kinds of laws, right? They were given purity laws. They were given dietary laws. They were given how you should dress, how you should act, how you should talk, right? When they came out of Egypt and and started to move towards into the wilderness to the promised land, God began to separate the Hebrews from all the other people, right? They are to be distinct. They're to be unique. So for instance, you get a passage in the Bible that says, don't cut yourself, and don't get tattoos. Oops. Don't worry. It just showed up there one morning. I woke up and there it was. And, and somebody in the church, even today, I, I've had I've had these emails. Why do you have tattoos? You can't get any more tattoos. Shame on you. Bad. Lame. This is, you know, you're going to hell. That kind of thing. And then I write back and say, Jesus loves little children. And that's it. Right. And then they're confused. What? And the thing is, is those passages, those passages are, are to the Hebrews specifically so that when they go into the promised land, they'll look different than the rest of the culture. Because what was happening was the Hebrews were behind culturally, They had no king. They had no political system. God was their only king. That was the idea. They asked for a king later. But the rest of the world, they were cutting themselves for the worship of false gods, and they were tattooing themselves for the worship of false gods. So God said, listen, don't cut yourself. Don't put tattoos on. Don't dress this way because I want you to be a city on a hill. I want all of the people to see externally, externally, you are God's people. That's what circumcision was about. That's why you would cut off that piece of flesh. You're separate. Physically, you can see it the way you live. You can see it. You are to be separated from the rest of the world. But what do you think happened as they embraced that year after year, century after century? Well, the the Hebrews became, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes, they became severely conceited Because they believed that they were chosen by God because of their race, and they believed that they were staying close to God because of all of their external behaviors. They were following the law. And then the gospel comes and obliterates everything. Now, by way of backdrop, last week, Brad shared with you the way that we are different, the way we were, and the way that we are now. If you were to look just briefly, and I would encourage you to do so as I kind of talk a little bit more here, in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2, you, you see the great power of God at work in the individual. Remember, a lot of this is—a is lot of what we're discussing is in the framework of our identity. And if you looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, you would find what we call the great reversal in our identity— Or the great exchange is another way theologians call it. Something has radically changed because of the gospel. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, there has been a unique manifestation of his spirit in the individual. This is what Paul is trying to tell the Ephesians church. You're richer than you think. You have spiritual gifts that you could never think or imagine. You're more blessed in Christ than you could ever, ever imagine you are. And it tells us this power is because of his, if you look at verse 10, chapter two, verse 10, his workmanship. Everyone say workmanship. Workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. Poema is where we get our word poem. What Ephesians is saying is that in the individual, when the gospel comes, you, you are now a workmanship, a piece of work, a poem, if you will, a piece of art that God himself has created. And what is art? If any of you love art, I love art. If any of you love art, you know that art art is valuable, it's distinct, it's unique, and when it's done well, it's an inner expression of the maker, of the artist. You As the gospel comes upon you and Christ transforms you, you get this new soul, new creature, new creation, a new race of people with a new identity. And we are being told as part of that identity, you are God's poem. How cool is that? You are a a unique expression of of God. And every individual has had this power, and every individual has received this power if you've received Jesus, and you are a piece of art. And that means up front. As much as we love the church, you have to see that you are a part of the church. You're, you're a mosaic. Have you ever seen those really cool pictures? They're like a bunch of little pictures of something, and they make a big picture of something? Right? I was thinking, like, uh, you know, like a picture of me. <laughs> Could you imagine a big picture of me? and it's made up of all kinds of little pictures of me. That's the church. The church is a multi multifaceted picture of Jesus. And whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, if you're a public speaker or you serve behind the scenes or you're rich or you're poor or you're black or you're white or whatever else, if you're tall, if you're short, it doesn't matter what it is. You are unique, beautifully accepted for who you are in Christ and you are needed, and that expression that you possess is needed in the body of Christ. And, and I say all this because, because up front, when I describe what the church is, everyone in here goes, yeah! And then I go, okay, in order for this to happen, well, you, you, you kind of need to attend more than once a month. You you might want to serve. You need to be known. You, you need accountability. And all of a sudden we go, whoa, whoa, whoa whoa, whoa, hold up. We're not very fond of that word accountability. We're not very fond of even that word, of that word to serve. And what Paul is saying, in part, that if you've received the gospel, If the gospel has come inside of you and transformed you, you will recognize that you can no longer just be an individual in God's kingdom. You're part of God's family. When someone gets saved, what we want to say to them is, Welcome to God's family. Because what we have in the passage before us here in just a few moments is the power of the gospel to create a new race of people. This is part of the work of the cross. Part of the work of the cross is that Jesus Christ has done away with race because ultimately God knows what we all should know. The idea of race is a socially constructed construct. There is no such thing as race. There is humanity. And then in the church, there is humanity that is in Christ. And that is who we are. And the rest of chapter 2 tells us how this power has come across. Let's just share with with us just real briefly because this is part of your identity, who you were, who you are. You were dead in your trespasses. Now you're alive in Christ. You were sons of disobedience. Now you're raised with Christ. You were once children of wrath. Now you're seated with Christ. Again, you were once children of wrath. Now you're recipients of generous mercy. You were once children of wrath, but now you're recipients of great love. You once were children of wrath, but now you're recipients of great grace. You were once children of wrath, but now you are recipients of God's kindness. How amazing is that? That's the power of the cross in the individual. The power of the cross takes all of the goodness of Jesus and imputes it to you. It becomes yours. You own it. You possess it. It's a gift and you are to walk in that identity. Now, likewise, once that identity comes upon us and we have it, now we see the great power of God corporately. Power of God individually, then the power of God corporately because what the gospel does is the gospel creates, like i mentioned, I've said it before, a new family. Let me read to you verse 11. After that, because of... These things, because these are true, because we're new, we're no longer dead in our trespasses. He says this, therefore, verse 11 of chapter two, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Do you see that? (laughs) There's a fight between the Hebrew and the Gentile. Gentiles were getting saved. And this is a big deal. You wanna know why? Because number one, the Hebrews were realizing that Yahweh's fulfillment in the Messiah is here. Okay, so you had all these Hebrews, who are, the Messiah is here. Then you had, you had Gentiles, and who are Gentiles, by the way? Everyone else. You know who divided it that way? The Hebrews. The Hebrews were like, we are Hebrews. Everyone else is a Gentile. The Hebrews saw the world in two categories. Hebrew, God's chosen, God's elect, God's given us promises, He's given us Abraham. He's our father. We have all the things that we need. Oh, and we're good at obeying the law. We're fine. Gentiles, oh, Gentiles, we're told. Look at the text again. Look at what he says about the Gentiles. Uh, Verse 12, remember that you were at one time, here's the description of a Gentile, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right, those are all descriptions of the person who doesn't have Jesus. And, and what was happening here is that the Hebrews were saying, this divides us. We're not like you. We're better than you. In fact, the Hebrews actually even pr- practiced this with the temple. Right? You remember the temple? Inside of the temple, and this wasn't commanded by God, the Hebrews would have the, the closest spots to the Holy of Holies, which is this sacred desk here, right? This is the Holy of Holies if you were a Gentile and the temple was supposed to be there for Gentiles, that the nations would come to know God. And if you were a Gentile, you didn't get to come here. You actually had a partition, a wall about Yehi. You could see across it and guess who was across the wall? Dogs. Gentiles. In fact, if you study a little bit about Jewish history, you'll find things like, like if a Hebrew woman, Married a Gentile man, on the day of her wedding, they, they would instead, the family, would perform her memorial. Because if you married a gentile, you're dead to me. Th- that that is how radically they viewed themselves to be so much more spectacular and so much more special than everybody else. And this is what our self righteousness does. It creates partitions and it creates walls. The moment that you think that you're better than somebody else because of your exterior actions. You may be like Mike. I'm not saying this is Mike, but Mike, Mike is not like this at all, but he memorizes the Bible like crazy. He's got a gift. Uh, he's trying to teach that gift to as many people as possible, especially the men. He oversees our men's ministry. But if Mike used his gift for, for biblical memorization as a way to show you how spiritual he is and how stupid you are, that creates a divide, it creates a wall, right my part of my job, part of Brad's job, and Brad's smarter than me my job is to preach in such a way that you leave feeling Jesus is accessible, not that I'm super intelligent like when Brad preaches, you shouldn't walk out of here going, "dang that guy's so smart, right you should be walking out going. Jesus is good. Jesus can reveal himself to me. That's what we talked about last week. We we need God to give us illumination, spiritual illumination. We need to ask the Lord, enlighten my mind and in my heart. Because without Christ, both the Jew and the Gentile are what we would call in verse 12, at least four different things. Look, Christless, alienated from commonwealth, no hope, and without God in the world. Do you see it? I don't know about you, I don't want to live in the world this way. Christless literally means without any promise of a Messiah and all the promises that come with the Messiah. It's basically saying you're excluded from all that is good. If you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith in Christ, this is part of your definition and identity. You don't have hope in the world and you're alienated from the commonwealth. That is the promises of scripture and you have no hope. How many of you remember 2019? 2019 was the year right before the longest 10 years of our lives. (laughs) In 2019, before the pandemic, before forced isolation and lockdowns, the Washington Post wrote this article titled, Americans are facing a rising tide of despair. This is before the pandemic. Americans are facing a rising tide of of despair. In 2020, a year later, the LA Times posted and said that since the pandemic, signs of depression in people have tripled. I like how we're finally talking about mental health. I like that. I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that conversation. Uh, I'm a little frustrated at times because, because as we talk about mental health, uh, especially in a culture that rejects God, we're not, we're not actually discussing the true key that unlocks mental health, which is the gospel. And there is no fixing this by yourself. Now, you could say to me, Jesse, I can be a Christian and not go to church. That's true. In fact, when I was in San Diego, during what was called the, um, uh, the the emerging and emergent church movement, some of you probably aren't even aware of what those are, but probably about 10, 15 years ago, probably 15 years ago, uh, the, the church was taking a real shift. It was moving. It was because of the next generation of, of young people. Uh, and there were two movements. One movement out of one group was called the, the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement. All these young guys, boys in particular, were, were going towards reformed churches. And then others, the other movement was kind of the Rob Bell movement, which was the whole Love Wins movement, which is like hell doesn't exist, and, and you can embrace anybody, and next thing you know, Rob Bell isn't at a church anymore. He's on the Oprah Winfrey channel, which shows you where that theology takes you, okay? If you teach there is no hell, you'll end up on the Oprah show, <laughs> <clears throat> Meant every word of it. And during that particular movement, during those two movements, there was that discussion of, and, and what was happening with some of the young folks is they were saying, you know what, we don't need a church building. We can meet in a coffee shop, we can meet in a park. Uh, We can meet anywhere as long as as there's two or more gathered, which is, again, taking something out of context in Scripture. But that was the idea. We don't need pastors. We don't need elders. We don't need a building, which is what the culture basically says. Give me Jesus, but don't give me an institution. I don't want institutions. Institutions are bad. And who can blame them when you have churches like Hillsong and the Hillsong stuff that's come out and, and you see that revenue is what's important and flash and signs is what is important and being cool is what is important. Those things need to be just pushed aside within a true church. We had a gal actually, she came to me the other day. She introduced herself to me. She's been doing worship on occasion. And, and she said, I've been doing worship. She said, you know, when I first started coming, I, I wasn't going to sign up for worship because my church experience has always been that the worship has to be perfect, has to be dialed in, and has to be great. And if it's not great, you're not gonna be accepted on the worship team. And she heard Brad mess up on, I think it was like a, like a Christmas Eve service or something. And, and Brad said, oh, let's start all over, it's okay. And she said, oh, this church isn't all about show. I, I can come and not be perfect and sing to the Lord. What we need is more biblical churches that are focused on the goodness of Jesus and not not on the business side of things, not just on the corporate side of things, but a true living, breathing entity that lifts up the goodness of who God is. This goes beyond all borders and beyond all boundaries. See, God is a God of inclusion. Now here's the thing, you'll hear it all the time, come as you are. Come as you are, but don't expect to stay that way. Don't expect to stay that way. Jesus embraces you for who you are. He embraces all of your sin. He washes it clean. But as you get into a new community with a new identity, hostility should fall away. The text is hostility is gone. The walls are gone. No one is better in the room because of your actions or your deeds. We're all in the same boat. All of us are in need of salvation, in need of our sins to be forgiven. And the only thing that any of us can boast on, just like Paul himself, is to boast upon the cross. Because Paul will tell us in Philippians, he says, listen, if anybody has a place to boast, it's me. I'm a Pharisee, he says. I'm confident, he says. I can be confident in the flesh. But he says, I count everything I've ever gained, Paul says. The guy who who wrote this book, he says, everything I've ever worked for, everything I've ever gained, everything I've ever accomplished, all of my education, all of my material belongings, everything, all of it, he says, I count it as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters except for the gospel. He goes on, he actually says, listen to this, for his sake, he says, I have suffered loss. I've suffered loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Imagine if a fire comes through Truckee, California. All of us have, haven't we? I mean, it's impossible not to, living in California. What happens when the fire just burns through here? If it does... Will you say of your million, two million, three million, $5 million house when it's down in ashes? I count it all as rubbish, Paul says. It's all rubbish. I only need Jesus. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I look at my house and, and all the things that I know I have to do and care for it and, and make sure that it's, that, you know, the roof isn't leaking snow and you've got ice dams, and you all know what it's like to own a home here, don't you? And every now and then I'll look at that house and go, Lord Jesus, burn it. I'll start all over. I don't give a rip. Careful. careful careful here's basically kind of where I want to conclude the power of the gospel comes into you as an individual and it transforms everything about you even if you don't recognize that transformation it has occurred but don't be ignorant don't, don't lose out that the power of the gospel is manifest in the community also. There's a reason Alana and Lucas found it important to stand before you. At their birthday party, you know, I was really touched when they prayed for, for little Bo because in, in Lucas's prayer, he, he prayed a prayer of gratitude for the church family that they have. The power of the gospel is is in you as an individual, but boy, it sure is really powerful when it comes into a full room of people. Because the church is a family. You're invited into a family. You're not invited into this thing individually. You've been invited into a family, and, and hopefully I've preached in such a way that would persuade you to want to be more a part of the family. To engage and to be known and to know people. I mean, that's when the gospel really comes... And the rubber meets the road when you know each other and you, you know what, what you're not good at and you know what you're weak at. I mean, that's how we grow as Christians when people actually know us, right? I know that's scary, right? Because then people, have to, people are gonna get to know your sin. People are gonna get to know what you're weak at. And here's the thing, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the one place where everybody knows how screwed up you are. And we still love you. I still love you, Mavis, even without that tooth. It's beautiful. Oh, man. I got all the old ladies mad at me in one service. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. I'm sweating like crazy. Oh, man. We're good, right? Do you forgive me? Uh, Mavis, do you forgive me? okay, we got to close. This is, my worst fear just happened actually. If I would have just said a cuss word, it would have had all of the bad things happen there. Here's the deal. Let's, let's pray. And um, even that like little moment is a moment of family. That's like a Thanksgiving meal right there. You know, I'm not coming back next year. And then you come back anyways. And then, Uncle Jesse makes another bad joke, and well, let's pray. Well, Lord, as we close, I pray uh, you get through all that little weird comedic stuff, and you help us to see, Lord, that the power of the gospel is true in us. You've transformed us. You've you've done something amazing in us that we can't do on our own, And, and Lord, you've invited us into a corporate body, and as we dive into this even further next week, Lord, and and discuss a little more what it means to be a part of the family of God and the church of God and for the cross to show us how to access that, Lord. And I pray you help us to do that in very fruitful ways. Thank you that for those of us who've made that step of faith that we're not Christless, we're not alienated from the commonwealth, and we do have hope, Lord, and we're definitely not without God in the world. Thank you for that invitation, and I pray that none of us would ever think that we're better than another because of our deeds, but rather because, Lord, all of us are equal with the righteousness that you've placed on us. Continue to do a good work in us, Lord. Continue to be the center of all things here. Continue to help us to to walk by grace and forgiveness. Help us to glorify you. And we trust you for that hope, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, will you stand with us? always good to be with you. Um, as we sing this next song, being reminded of God's holiness, his greatness, let's lift our voices together. It goes like this.